0: Welcome to the Kupinger call Analyst Chat. I'm your host. My name is Matthias Reinwald. I'm the director of the practice Identity and Access Management here at Kupinger call Analysts. This is a very special episode of the Kupinger Cole Analyst Chat. Um, this is already in anticipation of the upcoming Cybersecurity Leadership Summit in Berlin in November 2022. And therefore, we have planned to have a, a panel together with three uh, guests today. So let me please introduce you to our three panelists, starting in the UK. Um, we have Mike Small, who is a senior analyst with Couping Call Analysts out of Stockport. Hi, Mike, good to see you. Hi, Matthias. Great to have you. Over to the West Coast, to Seattle, to uh, John Tolbert. He is the director, um, the research director for the area of cybersecurity. Hi, John, good to see you.
1: Hello again, Matthias,
0: thanks for having us. Yeah, great to have you as well. And back to Germany, to Swabia, to Stuttgart, where we have Martin Kuppinger. He is the one of the founders of Kuppinger Call Analysts and the principal analyst. Hi, Martin, good to see you as well.
2: Hi, welcome.
0: So the topic for today also resonates with the Cybersecurity Leadership Summit because this is a theme that we will cover extensively at this event. And this is the topic of cyber resilience. And if we talk about cyber resilience, I have three experts here in the room. Can we agree on a common definition what cyber resilience is? Do we have a common notion of what that means? Maybe starting with you, Mike, what is cyber resilience from your perspective?
3: Okay, so this notion of cyber resilience has arisen because of the increasing dependence of all organisations upon uh, the internet and cyber-based technology. And it uh, was recognised through, for example, in Europe, the NIS Directive, which was uh, put uh, put out by the EU in around 2016, which recognised the need for critical infrastructure to be resistant to and resilient to cyber attacks, so cyber resilience is about being resistant to and able to recover from cyber attacks. So, John, what what have you got to say?
1: Yeah, I think that's a pretty good definition. I guess I would just add maybe that uh, you know being able to withstand cyber attacks and other sort of unexpected. Uh, consequences, you know, uh, network outages that may, you know, compromise availability of applications as well. Okay.
0: Um, when we're talking about this topic of, of cyber resilience at CSLS, why are we doing that right now? Why is it getting so important so that it really is an important track within the um, overall event? Um, maybe you, Martin, what, why, why is it gaining that traction right now?
2: Yeah, you know, I think it's just looking at numbers. Look look at the numbers, Uh, the number of cyber attacks, the number of cyber incidents. All that is going up and up and up. And there are so many samples of major incidents. Take Colonial Pipeline in the U.S. a couple of months ago, which means we all learn that you need to be resilient because at the end of the day, your organization can be um, get out of business due to a cyber attack. And so resilience is important. And knowing that we will be attacked, that we are continuously, constantly under attack, means we need to focus on what happens if one of these attacks leads to major issues, to major damage. How can we get back to normal business operations as quickly as possible? And that is the reason why it's important and why it plays a central role in the agenda of the CSLS.
0: Okay, understood. Any any other aspects? Maybe, John, do you have any thoughts about why is, is it such an important topic right now?
1: Well, you know, following up on what Martin said, I think there are the numbers of attacks have just been increasing year over year. And, you know, we we hear a lot, we talk a lot about ransomware and the effects that it has. You know, I really think we still need to get the message out that there are ways that you can make your organization more resilient against things like ransomware. Ransomware has had some really pernicious effects. I mean, many companies, uh, you know, nonprofits, excuse me, uh, government agencies around the world, including small government agencies, you know, cities, townships, uh, you know, states, not just federal governments have been subjected to ransomware attacks. Uh, And and it's, like Martin said, it's kind of put many of them out of business for a while. And if you're a for-profit business, you can't really withstand not being able to conduct business for months on end, Uh, you know, unless you have massive cash reserves. And, And there have been companies that have, you know, come to the brink of folding just due to the severity of ransomware attacks. And some of the things that we'd like to cover at CSLS are, about how to help uh, attendees and their organizations uh, be able to withstand these kinds of attacks make them so that uh, they do not cause that kind of damage. It
3: isn't just what, what you would think is uh, e-businesses that de- depend upon uh, their IT systems now. You know, the, the classic example of that takes us back to Norse which was a, a, an aluminum smelter that as more and more businesses have become more and more dependent upon their IT to do things more efficiently, to get closer to their customers, to uh, improve their supply chains, they have made themselves more and more vulnerable to any kind of attack. And certainly this is one of the critical things. So um, in terms of the five steps that I think, organizations should be taking. I would say that the first thing is most organizations don't realize just how much uh, IT they have and unless you understand and you are able to catalogue the resources and the assets that you depend upon, the chances are you're not going to be able to secure it. And this doesn't just depend upon the resources that you're using, one of the problems and one of the major problems is, is in fact, those resources that you've forgotten about but are still connected and that have lots of vulnerabilities that people haven't patched. The second thing, and the, the major platform which has taken a new life under the name of Zero Trust, is identity and access management, that the whole of uh, control, the most powerful and fundamental control is who can access what. Uh, And unless you control that properly, then the wrong people are going to get into your systems and they will then be able to uh, use that access to to do bad things. So the vulnerabilities that uh, exist, the technical vulnerabilities that exist in your systems are the next most important priority to, to, to look at, that most of the major breaches basically stemmed from an exploit usually of a vulnerability that was well known 10 or 15 years ago, which was easy to patch, but which people hadn't taken the trouble or bother to patch. So remove vulnerabilities where you can. And uh, that is is a problem which is made more difficult by the dynamic nature of uh, today's IT. When in fact servers were things that were physical and tangible that you were able to get hold of, um, you could actually sort of secure the server itself. Now, what is happening is every, every uh, IT infrastructure and environment is virtualized. The cloud is an example of that. Resources are created as and when they are needed. And so, the, in this dynamic environment, the only way you can manage it is to do it by policies that say that when something happens, it has to uh, enforce a policy rather than doing it retrospectively when you've discovered it. And the most difficult and final thing is that the third line, your users are in fact the most important defense against cyber attack and ensuring cyber resilience. And this is the most difficult thing because creating and changing culture is always difficult. And this is where Uh, creating a security culture is going to be fundamental. So those are my five points. Right, and
0: there's a lot to digest
3: here and because
0: it, it goes from organization from, as you said, from culture to technology to um, even trying to to identify which resources are in place and how they can be protected. So this is a wide range of, of aspects to look at. Um, are there any aspects within what Mike said that you, John and Martin, want to highlight, especially before we continue to other suggestions where to look at? What is of importance for you, especially from what Mike said? Maybe Martin?
2: Okay. Um, can I do first? I think um, what Mike said, all is important because we are living in a highly... in our environment with a lot of IT, with a lot of shadow IT, with a high level of volatility or continuous change. And this is something we need to do. But yes, we need to do groundwork, cyber hygiene, so to speak, basic things, patching, etc. We need to do it well. The, the two things I, I'd like to add are... are um what what an important element of, of cyber resilience is really focusing on recovery on on how to restore how to get back to to operations maybe not even normal distance but at least being capable of um, sort of um, re- reducing the the potential damage by having the most important the most critical systems working again the ones who, um, where, where where failure, Um, really costs your organization the most money, which which causes the biggest damage. So understanding how to recover is very important. And all this goes then into something, and this is also part of the organization. So cultural change is one part. The other is, is clearly linking everything we do here to the business continuity management, the incidence response processes and organization so that we are able to react quickly because We must be prepared when things go wrong. We can't then just then start thinking about, oh, whom do we need to inform? How does the board communication look? Um, How do we, so which people are responsible for what, which external partners do we need? All that stuff must be prepared. John, what do you have as additional points?
1: You know, I, I would agree. In order to have uh, the ability to restore and get get going again, I think it's really important to emphasize the need for backups. I mean, backups aren't exactly the most fun thing that we can talk about, uh, but you know, backing up both your data and your configurations for your devices uh, and keeping and them.
2: Let Let me jump in. Mean, not only to have backups, but to have multiple backups, multiple versions, and backups that are Offline. Because yes. the backups which are just online are always potential subject to
3: attacks. People take backups, but they don't check <laughs> that they can recover. Yeah.
1: yeah, I think we need everyone needs not only to have backups and like Martin said, multiple backups. But yeah, Mike, I think you're right on too that these procedures need to be tested regularly. Can you actually take one of your offline backups that you have and and put it into place in a relatively short period of time so that you have business continuity. Uh, it's 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 great to have the backups, but if you're not sure that the entire process surrounding that works, then then it's that's that's not good
3: a common uh, a common situation that that I've come across is you say to an organization, "Do you have a backup?" They say yes. Have you tested it? And they say, yes. And you then say, well, what happened when you tested it? It failed. (laughs) (laughs) And what did you do about it? Oh, well. (laughs) And this is the problem. It's not just that you've tested it, you've got to test it and make sure it works.
2: And that it works fast, because every minute you're losing with recovery, costs you a ton of money. Right. Are there other yeah. steps that you
0: would suggest John that are important for for for, show, for showing the full picture of what cyber resilience might mean for an organization?
1: Yeah, I would say start with the basics. Um, you know, every every computing device that's in your organization needs at least a basic endpoint security software installed. I know a lot of organizations will buy you know computing devices in bulk and they kind of assume, well, there's there's some antivirus on there or something. you know, well, that may be the case, but you need to actively manage that. You need to make sure that the uh, antivirus endpoint security solutions are up to date. Are they receiving updates? Uh, and And the same thing with patching. You know, automated patching has been in place for many operating systems for years, Uh, but some organizations do not enable that. I think it's uh, by default now, it it should be enabled everywhere so that when patches are released, your machines are updated.
2: That's a a good point, John. I like that because I still have every now and then communication with with someone who who says, oh, we have this 30-day testing period before we push out a patch. In, in the age of zero-day um, attacks, I think the risk equation has fundamentally changed. And the risk of a patch causing problems is so much lower than the risk of leaving systems 30 days unpatched that we need to change that thinking. This change, thinking is really 1990s.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, maybe back then months could pass between the discovery of vulnerability and an active exploit. Now, often active exploits can be found, uh, you know, in conjunction with vulnerability to discoveries. So it's imperative that as soon as patches are available, uh, they they are put in place everywhere. So endpoint security, uh, patching, don't forget about the network side. You know, and the network uh, includes cloud. You know, and the network can often be the last place to discover uh, a security breach.
3: Yeah, I, I think one of the, the problems is that the attackers can get in to your cloud service and through the network can work their back, way back into your on-premises or edge systems. And so... Uh, the cloud network can be something that is forgotten.
2: Yeah, and and I think the point is, generally speaking, we need to understand the risk of any type of supply chain uh, risks, and there are, there are, there are various things which which affects cyber risks and effect than cyber resilience so there's the software supply chain stuff so everything which may be injected into code or where, where someone attacks the, the um, devops um, chain but there's also this risk of things coming in from your suppliers um, more on the office side or on the technology side so so I think there are, there are quite a number of things and the point is we are connected in, in so many different manners in so many different ways that we need to understand our cyber risk is affected by this and we need to be aware of that so that we can take measures and also that we can contain um, things that go wrong so they don't that they don't affect sort of the other side of the supply chain because I, I think it's interesting to see when you look at what happens today uh, many of the larger um, organizations like whatever automotive vendors or so are reaching out very actively to all their suppliers and asking them for certifications and for proof of their cyber security because they see the cyber risk increasing and they see even the risk that even while the, the attack might not dribble so over the network to them it might be that an important supplier is just out for a couple of days or weeks and that would then affect their physical supply chain um, and then causes a lot of problems as we know from the past years when a lot of ships were stuck, et cetera. And so I think we need to think very broad about this entire topic to understand the cyber risks and to improve our, our, our cyber resilience.
1: You know, a couple of last points I wanted to make is, you know, on keeping with the basics, you know, email is still a leading vector for you know, like business email compromise, getting malware into organizations, phishing, um, and this is something that will continue to be the case. So, email security, web security, these are the sources of many externally launched attacks. Uh, and and everyone needs to be vigilant uh, to prevent uh, email and, and web security threats. So there are specialized products out there that can help with that. Specialized services for those that are using, say, SaaS based email, uh, and those things uh, need to be considered and put into place as well.
2: Yeah, it is interesting. By the way, maybe a, a hint, from Matthias can can also um, add the number of this podcast, but I just recently did a podcast with Matthias about uh, that I don't, really don't like that sentence of, um, the users are the weakest link in security. Um, Mike, you already said they are your first line of defense. And the point is, you know, we frequently say, hey, w- w- why did you give away your password? But the problem is, why is there a password still? Or why, why didn't you understand that this is a dangerous uh, uh, um, a malicious a- attachment to an email? The question, or the agreed question is why didn't you do your basics and have an email security system in place that mitigates that risk? And I think this is something which I believe is very spot on in this discussion.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I, fully- I completely agree. I think the we, users do need to be trained mike's right you know we need to have a culture of security i think that culture of security needs to come from the top too Uh, This is not something that can just be put into place by uh, IT security people at organizations. It has to be bought into from the executive level on down. And that's really important because we see so many attacks that are targeting executives these days. So, I mean, they need to understand and push security from that level as well
0: absolutely and to to answer martin's question it's episode 140 so that is the one about the um, who's is, um, is it really the human being that is the the the, the key attack vector um so this is um, the episode that martin mentioned um when we're talking about cybersecurity leadership summit we are talking about um, addressing thought leaders and and creating awareness also for that topic of cyber resilience um From what I've heard now, and we, I've asked initially for five key steps to, to make when, to to integrate cyber resilience into an organization. And we are far beyond the number of five. Who would be the one person, the one position within an organization to actually drive adding cyber resilience into an organization? Is it only cybersecurity? Is it the management? Who? Do you consider to be the people responsible for acting upon what you just said, maybe starting with Mike?
3: Yeah, so that's an interesting question because I'm giving a talk on the NIS2, the updated uh, NIS directive at uh, Cybersecurity Leadership Summit. And one of the interesting things about that particular directive is that it requires that the board of the organization shall have cybersecurity training, and it places the book, that is to say the responsibility for cybersecurity, squarely with the board of directors. Great.
0: Any other opinions? Um, maybe John, maybe Martin?
2: Yeah, I, I think I agree. I think there needs to be um, accountability and, and responsibility, which the latter which can be delegated at the board level and i think then to to really make this effective we need so to speak the the modern CISO uh, which is really more more on this entire processual and, and conceptual and organizational side of things and, and really enables and drives the organization and maybe the best solution is really to have the CISO at the board level then
1: John any thoughts I think these are good ideas, and I know we've been talking about this for years, that we need cybersecurity awareness at the board, and I think that the regulatory approach that, that we'll be talking about at CSLS is probably the only realistic way to make that happen.
0: Absolutely. And now that we have so many um, aspects to look at from, from getting an inventory of your systems to um, training and changing culture and uh, having training for the board, which I really like that idea, um, what would be, if I asked the three of you in, uh, consecutively, um, what be, would be the really important first step to take to get re- cyber resilience within uh, w- into the organization? Uh, maybe starting with you, John.
1: Uh, first step. Um, well, I think, yeah, getting the the board level buy in, getting the 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 culture changed from the top down, uh, having having management understand the priority, what the what the consequences are. You know, we've we've talked about things like ransomware. We've mentioned, you know, manufacturing and shipping. Uh, th- those are large industries with many examples of, of things like ransomware attacks and without uh, the, the direction from the top to uh, help prevent those, we will continue to see you know many more such attacks across those kinds of industries. So I think it, it really has to come uh, from the top down uh, in conjunction with technical expertise uh, within IT departments.
0: Okay, great. Agreed. Martin?
2: I fully agree with John. Board-level buy-in and, and really board-level conviction that this is an essential topic for every organization.
0: Okay, interested to see if my, if, if Mike my contradicts. Any, any, any other thoughts? What to do first?
2: Well,
3: m- my view about all of this is, and I hope we will be talking about this at CSLS, is cyber hygiene that uh, you have to implement a continuous process of looking after all of the little details that matter and make your uh, cyber systems uh, secure and resilient. So it is implement cyber hygiene. Okay, great. So
0: now that we've talked so or mentioned Cybersecurity Leadership Summit for so many times, I just want to highlight the main aspects of that. So the Cybersecurity Leadership Summit aims at connecting a globally growing community of data security experts. And that's what we're doing. And we're doing that in November in Berlin and online. It will take place from November 8th to November 10th in Berlin. Um, And we have Great speakers, including the, my guests that are here in this panel today. But on top of this, we have CISOs and uh, security experts from many organizations, including Lufthansa, Deutsche Börse, Deutsche Telekom, MasterCard, Siemens and the Germany uh, federal uh, parliament, and many more, um, including Martin, John, and Mike. Um, If you're interested in joining us, there will be an online version uh, that is um, can be consumed from your home, from your desk, from your iPad on your couch, and you can join us um, in Berlin for for the full event in person um, in Berlin. If you're interested, go to the Kuppinger Cole website, and if you just go to www.kuppingerkohl.com, there will be a banner uh, on the start page where you can click and find more information, including the freshly released agenda with um, the opening keynotes uh, and with all the interesting workshops and sessions that will be run, including the one on cyber resilience. Um, before we close down, um, a, a round of final thoughts. Why should we join a Cybersecurity Leadership Summit, maybe starting with, with Martin?
2: Um, meeting people in person, discussing topics, um, sort leadership and a lot of experience, and really a perfect place to exchange with experts at a very high level, not in the sense of um, flying high, but the the depth and breadth of exchange and information and learning you can have there. So looking forward to meeting you in person in Berlin.
0: Perfect. Uh, Mike, additional thoughts? Uh,
3: Okay, me. Uh, So it's meet your peers, and it is hear what the organizations that uh, your peers are working for are doing to solve the
0: problems that you have. Great. And final words before we close down, John?
1: You know, one of the things I really like about CSLS is it's it's a bit of a different kind of conference. Plus, you know, in general, the the conferences that we have here at Cooping and Recall, we we do have presentations, but we have lots of panel discussions. And those panel discussions are a way for the audience to participate as well. You can see... Unscripted uh, debate on important cybersecurity topics, and then follow up and interact with the the not only the the presenters and the panelists, but the other attendees. It's a great opportunity to to meet peers, to learn about what's current uh, in cybersecurity, um, and and develop relationships uh, with those people that uh, you know you can see them in following years at, at events as well.
0: Perfect. And I fully agree that, that the CSLS is an event. It's, it's a one of a kind event. Um, and I really look forward to being there in November in Berlin and to meeting you and to meeting uh, all the participants. So um, we're closed down. Um, if you have any questions regarding uh, Cybersecurity Leadership, Leadership Summit, please uh, reach out to us or leave a comment um, on, uh, below this video on YouTube or reach out to us via our email addresses or the contact form that is available on, on the uh, Kupinger Co. website. Looking forward to meeting you in person or virtually in Berlin or online for the CSLS and for the time being. Thank you very much, Martin, John and Mike for being my panelists today for this um, unusual episode of the Analyst Chat and looking forward to having all three of you in upcoming episodes very soon. Thank you very much, and um, bye-bye, Martin, bye-bye, Mike, and bye-bye, John. Thank
1: you. Bye.